Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 266, post-Thanksgiving leftover turkey soup. And I am your host and the guy who, after gun deer season weekend number two, has officially seen more deer on the hunting club property in the past two weeks than he saw the entire season on that same property last year. More on that in a minute, but right now we are 107 days, 9 hours, 47 minutes, and 34 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So this past weekend, while hunting, I saw two more deer on the, I'm still going to use the word new because this is actually our second year in this club, but new hunting club. And when you add that in with the one deer that I saw there last weekend, now I'm at three deer for the season in two weekends of hunting compared to seeing two deer the entire season last year. Now I may have just jinxed myself and I may not see another deer the rest of the season for saying that out loud, but this just further goes to prove that a lot of our hunting success has to do with scouting and getting boots on the ground. And yes, some of it has to do with luck, but I think we control a lot of our own luck in the woods by scouting. So I'm looking forward to heading back down to the club this weekend, and I'm pretty sure that my son wants to go with me again this weekend, so we're going to try to make that happen, and hopefully he'll kill a deer this weekend, and then that way he'll have some meat in his freezer, well, meat that he's harvested in his freezer. Regardless, we'll have a good time, it'll be a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to it. So hey, I'm starting to make some podcasting plans for 2020, and it looks like 2020 is going to be a pretty interesting year for the show and for you guys listening if some of the things that I have planned pan out. So I'm excited about that. You know, this past year, I did not put a survey together for you guys to help me by giving some feedback on the show. And I think I'm going to do that again for this year, probably sooner rather than later. So keep your ears open for that in the next couple of weeks. I really do appreciate the input that you guys give me about the show because I'm one person. And just because I think a topic 
is interesting to cover on the show does not mean that that topic is really interesting to cover on the show. (laughs) So I really do appreciate the feedback I get from you guys, and I want to get more of that for 2020. I'm not sure if you guys know this or not, but Christmas will be here soon. And if you're looking for the perfect stocking for your own stocking, then be sure to stop by my Etsy store and pick up some stockings for your stocking. Hang in there with me and I'll tell you a little bit more about what in the world I'm talking about here. But another option is to ask Santa to get you a pair of really cool wild turkey socks to go in your stocking since you've been so darn good this year, you know. There are four patterns to choose from. There's the Rio Grande pattern, which looks like the breast feathers of a Rio Grande turkey because it actually is that. There is the Merriam's pattern, which looks like the wing feathers of a Merriam's turkey, which might be my favorite pattern. And that's because it is actually from a picture of wing feathers of a Merriam's turkey. Then there's the eastern pattern, which looks like tail feathers of an eastern wild turkey because it actually is from a picture of the tail feathers of an eastern wild turkey. And you guessed it, the Osceola pattern, which looks like the wing feathers of an Osceola turkey. So what I did with the images that are on these socks is I tried to get something that was unique to each and every subspecies of turkeys. And now the tail fan of a eastern wild turkey is not necessarily anything that's unique because the Osceola tail fan looks just like the eastern tail fan, but they're really cool looking anyway. The socks are $17.50 a pair and they are super comfortable. Now I have to tell you, I'm a weirdo about clothes. If something is not comfortable, I will not wear it. And I really like these socks and wear mine all the time. Now trust me on this. When I tell you that you will be the envy of all of your friends when you are sporting these socks. Heck, I'll be surprised if you don't wear them with your Bermuda shorts and sandals this coming summer at the beach or the lake. Another good Christmas gift to ask Santa Claus for when you are sitting in his lap telling him how good you've been this past year is some turkey hunting education. So you could ask Santa for some or all of the video classes available on Turkey Hunting University. And for those of you who are not familiar with Turkey Hunting University, a couple of years ago I spent quite a bit of time putting together some instructional videos on turkey hunting. And what kind of drove me to doing these videos and putting them out there is that not everyone turkey hunts the same way. And that's not to say that one person's way of turkey hunting is better than another person's way of turkey hunting, or more effective, or more fun, because we all have our own opinions of what fun is. But what I did with these videos that's a little bit different is that I interviewed some very good turkey hunters to talk about things like how to set up properly, the different collars to use, how to deal with some different hunting situations, how to use decoys, what to do after the shot, safety, and on and on. So there's several videos that are available on the Turkey Hunting University website. And if you want to learn from, oh, let's say somebody like Jeff Buds, who has killed now well over 400 turkeys, or you want to learn from someone like Preston Pittman, who 
is a turkey, then there are some really good and really informative classes available on the Turkey Hunting University website. Go check those out. See if there's anything there that you want. You can actually get a discount if you buy all of the classes. And the website is turkeyhuntinguniversity.com. So go check that out and add that to your list of things you want from Santa. Okay, so let's get down to business now. Last night for dinner, or gosh, probably the ninth or tenth time this week, I have had turkey in some sort of a dish. So it got me to thinking, what better way is there to get rid of all that leftover turkey from Thanksgiving than to throw it in a pot and make some turkey soup, which is exactly what we're going to do today. So let's get it on. If you plan on hunting Wisconsin, then you need to know that December the 10th is the deadline to apply for a spring turkey harvest authorization which is basically a turkey tag. Applicants can choose up to two time period and zone combinations that they'd like to hunt. As a third choice, applicants may choose one zone in which they will accept a harvest authorization for any time period, which is kind of cool. This third choice can be the same zone as the first and or the second choice. The second and third choices are optional, but why wouldn't you put a second and third choice on your application in order to increase the likelihood that you're going to draw a tag. Once the drawing results are finalized, successful applicants are going to be notified by mail and unsuccessful applicants will be executed. Oh no, I misread that. Sorry. Unsuccessful applicants will receive a preference point that will increase their chances of drawing a harvest authorization next spring. Applicants can also check the status of their application online through the Go Wild website. Now here's the cool thing about Wisconsin. Any harvest authorizations that were not awarded in the drawing will be available for purchase as bonus harvest authorizations starting March the 16th. Bonus harvest authorizations will cost $10 for residents and $15 for non-residents. Hey non-residents, Wisconsin offers some of the least expensive tags of any state in the country. They want you to hunt in Wisconsin. They want you to come there and spend your tax dollars on hotels, on fuel, on food, on license sales, and it's nice to go to a state where they want you there. All right, all Turkey hunters are required to possess a valid spring turkey license and a wild turkey stamp when they acquire their spring turkey harvest authorization. A 2020 spring turkey license is $15 for Wisconsin residents and $60 for non-residents. The 2020 wild turkey stamp is $5.25 American cents. So for non-residents, you're talking about $80.25 total for a wild turkey license, tag, and stamp. And I'll tell you that after spending over $300 as a non-resident to hunt in Mississippi, $80.25 is a bargain. So I'm not going to go through all of the different seasons with you guys because that information is available online. You can just go to Google and search Wisconsin 2020 spring turkey season dates and all of those dates should pop up for you there. 
I'm going to tell you from experience that period A and period B, which are mid to late April, are very popular time periods. So if that's when you want to hunt in Wisconsin, you're going to have some competition, but that doesn't mean you can't draw a tag or an authorization as they call it. So the Ute turkey hunt in Wisconsin is going to be April 11th and 12th, and it is open for hunters who are 15 years old and younger. And those hunters need to apply for a spring turkey harvest authorization before the December 10th deadline. A harvest authorization for any time period can be used during the two-day youth hunt, but hunters are limited to the zone listed on their harvest authorization. So when those Utes put in for their tags, then they need to be sure to put in for the zone that they want to hunt, but the time period or the season that they choose does not matter, which is pretty cool. Now, Wisconsin also offers hunters with disabilities an opportunity to apply for harvest authorization outside of the normal spring turkey drawing. Those hunters can apply for the spring wild turkey hunt for people with disabilities by submitting the DNR forms 2300-271 and 2300-271A. Now the disability hunt is valid on private lands only and those forms must be submitted by December the 10th to the DNR wildlife biologist for the county in which the hunt will take place. Now, any hunters with disabilities who apply for a turkey harvest authorization using those two forms may not apply for a harvest authorization through the general spring turkey drawing. So that's very important. But it may be a better opportunity to draw an authorization using those two forms and the special drawing they're having for hunters with disabilities than it is in the general spring turkey drawing. So keep that in mind. Now, if you live in Utah and you want to turkey hunt there this spring, then you'll want to know that the application period for spring 2020 limited entry turkey hunts opens on December the 3rd. If you want to be included in the permit drawing, you must submit your application before 11 p.m. on December the 30th, and you can apply at the Utah DWR website or over the phone by calling your nearest DWR regional office. The results of the drawing will be released no later than January the 7th, 2020, and you'll be notified by email, but you can also get the drawing results online or by calling 800-221-0659. Those limited entry hunts will be held April 11th through the 30th, 2020, and all total, there's about 1,750 limited entry permits that will be available. And keep in mind that if you do not draw one of the limited entry permits, you can still hunt turkeys in the spring. The general statewide turkey hunt happens in May, and the permits for the general season hunt are not limited, so you'll have no problem in getting one. Those general statewide turkey permits will go on sale at 8 a.m. on February the 20th, 2020. The Illinois Department of Natural Resources has leased more than 16,000 acres of private land for the upcoming 2020 Illinois spring wild turkey season. They do this through a program they call the Illinois Recreational Access Program, or IRAP. 
Now, that 16,000 acres is divided up into about 470 public access turkey hunting sites scattered around 40 different counties in the state. The sites are available to hunt free of charge to successful applicants during the spring youth turkey hunt and during the third and fourth segments of the spring turkey season. There are a total of 180 sites that are available in 38 counties for the two-weekend youth season, which is March the 28th through the 29th and April the 4th through the 5th. I think it's pretty cool that Illinois gives the Utes two weekends of a special season. A Ute in Illinois is classified as a hunter who is 17 or under, and they have to have a supervisor with them. Those applications are due by February the 22nd, 2020, to be eligible for the youth drawing. Now, more of those IRAP sites are going to be available for spring turkey season segments three and four for youth and adult turkey hunters. And those sites are going to be open on a first-come, first-served basis. To be eligible to hunt one of those sites, a hunter must first apply for a spring turkey permit through the IDNR lottery for an IRAP eligible county. So if any of you guys in Illinois are interested in hunting any of the IRAP properties, then go online and search the term applications for IRAP turkey hunting sites. And you should be able to find all the information you want that way. Moving on, did you guys know that the residents of the state of Idaho hate wild turkeys? Hate them with a passion. Why, you ask? Because in parts of the state, turkeys are destroying farmers' crops. Here's what I'm talking about. The first of two special turkey seasons opened this past Sunday, which I think was December 1st, across four hunting zones running from south of Boise along the Oregon border and up into Adams County west of McCall, Idaho. These hunts will occur on private land in zones 22, 31, 32, and 38. Game and Fish says the goal is to help stem damage done to private property, like crops. Not only is it crops that turkeys are damaging in southwestern Idaho, but last year, a couple in Preston, Idaho, returned to their home after being away for a few days to find that a turkey had broken in to their home through a window and trashed the house over a three-day period of time. The couple says that their homeowner's insurance would not cover the majority of the damage to the house. The state of Idaho wants its residents to know that if wild birds are running amok on their land in those southwest Idaho zones, then landowners can have their property be included in the hunt as long as it's more than 79 acres of land. During the hunt, only hens are allowed to be taken by hunters. The first season ends December the 31st, but no worries because a second season opens January the 1st and runs into the spring. Now that is hatred of wild turkeys. <laughs> hey, I'm not laughing at the damage to crops or people's homes or yards that's caused by turkeys. I'm really kind of laughing at the tone of that article because to me it seems like enemy number one in the state of Idaho, wild turkeys. So a couple of weeks ago, I got a private message on Facebook 
from a listener of the show, Jeff Lowe, and he was asking me if I'd heard anything about the bag limit in Kansas being cut from, I think it was two birds in the spring, to one bird in the spring. And I told him I hadn't heard anything about that, but I would check with a friend of mine in Kansas and see if he knew anything about it. So I checked with him, and he gets on the DNR website, pulls up some information, sends me a text message back and says, no, no change. So I let Jeff know that there was no change to that, and now I'm letting Jeff know I was wrong because my friend was wrong. So while doing research for today's show, I stumbled across an article that says Kansas Wildlife and Park Commissioners have voted to restrict turkey hunting across the state, including in areas where experts did not suggest any changes. So there were two proposals that were brought up by state wildlife biologists, and one of the changes was meant for turkey units 3, 5, and 6 only. And the recommendation from the state biologist was to suspend the fall turkey season in those units for 20 and 21. Now, unit four in Kansas does not have a fall turkey season at all anyway. So that was not part of the proposal. And unit one was not part of the proposal either that the biologist had made. So the commission chairman, a gentleman by the name of Gerald Lauber, apparently was against the recommendation and offered an amended proposal. The amended proposal suggested that rather than suspend the fall season, eh, we'll just shorten it to 41 days. That amendment also included Unit 1, which was not the target of what the state biologists were trying to do. And the article says that when commissioners were asked why they were including Unit 1 in the amended proposal, nobody could really give a solid answer to the question. So Lauber's amended proposal passed 6 to 1. And so I'm going to try not to get on my soapbox here, but just to give you an idea, the Kansas Wildlife and Park Commission Chairman, Gerald Lauber, who is a banker, he was CEO of a bank in Kansas and worked for that bank for 45 years. He knows more than any of the biologists that work for the state. And just apparently completely threw any recommendations that the biologists had out the door. Came up with his own proposal. And six out of the seven people on the commission voted to approve his recommendation. Six out of seven people on the commission think that a banker knows better and knows more how to protect wild turkeys than the state biologists in Kansas do. I'm going to make one statement and then I'm moving on because I'm not getting on my soapbox today. I am all for average citizens, me and you, having some input and say so into our seasons and our bag limits for all wild animals that we hunt. But I'm going to tell you, as a mortgage broker, I don't know as much as the biologists who are in the field who are studying these animals, the trends in their population, their reproductive habits, their reproductive trends, the recruitment of their young. I'm not studying all that like these biologists are. And these biologists are also talking to other biologists in other states and they're sharing information about what is working for them in those states and what's not working. Kansas is not the only state that has this issue. 
a lot of our states do. Alabama's one of them. But we hunters need to hold the members of the commission accountable for what they do. Now, most of these members of the commission are appointed, and a lot of them are appointed by the governor or even the commissioner of our DNR, DWR, Wildlife and Park, whatever the wildlife governing entity is called in our state. But we need to make sure that the bosses, who are the ones who are appointing these average Joe citizens to these commissions and these seats on these commissions, we need to make sure that they hear from us and that if the people sitting on the seat and those commissions don't do something that we feel they should be doing, such as listening to the biologists in those states, we need to make it heard. I'm moving on, but still in Kansas. And this is the topic of Jeff's email to me. The other proposal in front of the Wildlife and Park Commission called for reducing spring turkey tag limits to one per person from the current limit of two. The thought behind this was to help boost the number of hens to help regrow the state's turkey population. I'm not sure how shooting one tom instead of two toms helps to boost the number of hens, but regardless, that proposal passed unanimously and is set to take effect in spring of 2020. Now, that proposal does not affect turkey units number one and four, which are basically the western third of the state. So in the western third of the state, hunters there can still harvest two turkeys in the spring. In the eastern two-thirds of the state, that bag limit has been reduced from two turkeys to one turkey. And I'm not going to claim to know all of Kansas regulations, but I'm pretty sure the state allows only bearded turkeys to be taken in the spring or males only to be taken in the spring. I don't think that it's an either-sex harvest in the spring in Kansas. I could be wrong about that. See, I think I did pretty good about not getting on my soapbox just then. You may feel differently. Okay, in Oklahoma, there are proposed rule changes in front of the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation, and they would like the public's comment on those proposed rules. Now, the public comment period is going to be open until 4.30 p.m. Central Time, on January the 3rd, 2020. And there's a public comment form that you guys can fill out to submit your comments. But the one proposed rule change regarding wild turkeys is to allow controlled hunts for spring turkey at the Wichita Mountains National Wildlife Refuge. So you guys in Oklahoma that are listening to this, or maybe even if you live out of state, but hunt in Oklahoma regularly, then you want to make your comment heard. And you can find that public comment form by going to Google and searching Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation Proposed Rule Change Public Comment Form. And it should take you right to that form. All right, now let's venture north, north of the border, to be more specific. According to the CBC, a group of local hunters hopes the Newfoundland and Labrador government is open to introducing wild turkeys to the ecosystem. And Barry Fordham, who is a member of the St. John's Longbeards, which is a chapter of the Canadian Wild Turkey Federation, is kind of driving the boat on this move or this proposal. And Fordham says that central Newfoundland 
and possibly the west coast would provide a suitable habitat for the birds. The article says that introducing a non-native species has caused problems before. Moose, after all, were brought to Gander Bay in 1878 and to Howley in 1904. But Fordham says that wild turkeys could thrive there, adding that they're not in direct competition with any other bird on the island. Fordham hopes that the government's open to the possibility of bringing in turkeys and says that the desire for local food is another reason for the government to allow introduction of wild turkeys. Now Fordham says he's requested a meeting with the Fisheries and Land Resources Minister Jerry Byrne and that Jerry Byrne seemed to be pretty aloof in not only the topic of wild turkeys but other topics that they want to meet on, such as the moose population and hunters feeding the hungry. The Department of Fisheries and Land Resources said it has not received any recent inquiries regarding the importation of wild turkeys for the purpose of game hunting, and that current legislation under the Wild Life Act prohibits any live wild animal like turkeys from being imported and released. So I'm not real sure how big of a listenership base we have in Canada, but any of you guys or ladies listening in Canada who want to help the cause in trying to get turkeys introduced to Newfoundland and Labrador may want to look up Barry Fordham and see if you guys can help him out. Me personally, I'm all for it. More people should have the joy of wild turkeys in their lives. All right, speaking of proposals and comments and all that other kind of fun stuff that the government wants from us and sometimes they listen to and sometimes they don't most of the time they don't but that should not stop us from giving them our opinions public comments on upland game turkey and fur bearer seasons is being sought by the idaho fish and game remember how much they hate turkeys in idaho well one of the proposals being considered by fish and game is to include units seven and nine to the list of units open to general turkey hunting seasons in the spring and fall, expanding the special unit turkey tags to all units in the panhandle and extending the panhandle's fall turkey general hunt from December 31 to January 31. Now these proposals can be reviewed and commented on at the Fish and Game website. They're also going to hold open houses from 5 to 7 p.m. December the 12th at the Panhandle Region Office in Coeur d'Alene and between 5 and 7 p.m. December the 4th, which you're going to have a hard time making that one, at the Ponderay Events Center in Ponderay. So don't let my little comment there about our government officials not listening to our comments. They ask for our comments, and if you ask me for one and I've got an opinion, you're going to hear it. So you guys need to make your voices heard because seriously, if you don't, then really I kind of feel like you've got no basis in complaining when something happens that you don't like to our bag limits or season dates and season lengths. Hunters in misery checked 1,952 turkeys during the fall firearms turkey season. And that season ran from 10-1 through 10-31. The top harvest counties in Missouri were Crawford and 
green with 61 birds harvested each, followed by, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, Laclede with 59 and Phelps with 58. Now you can get county by county fall harvest results by going to the Missouri Department of Conservation's website and searching for the harvest table for wild turkeys. So remember that number for 2019. 1,952 turkeys harvested during Missouri's fall firearms turkey season. Now in 2018, hunters harvested 2,170 turkeys during the fall firearms turkey season. And if you remember from the summer, I told you guys that the Missouri Department of Conservation was expecting a lower harvest number in 2019 than they had in 2018. And they said that that was going to be because of the wet spring and flooding during the spring and summer that created challenging nesting conditions across a lot of the state. Add that, and of course that means below average pulp production, and of course that means fewer young birds on the landscape this year for hunters. The article goes on to say that the Missouri Department of Conservation's annual wild turkey brood survey for this year showed turkey production was below average statewide and in most regions. The statewide poult to hen ratio for this year is 0.9, which is the same as last year's poult to hen ratio, but lower than the average ratio for the previous five years of 1.1. That ratio is higher in southeastern Missouri this year than it was in other parts of the state. And in more harvest data news, Ohio hunters killed 1,054 wild turkeys this fall season. That's slightly less than last year when hunters killed 1,131 wild turkeys. Now, Ohio season ran from October the 12th through December 1 across 70 counties in the state. Now, and next up, I've got an article for you guys that I stumbled across that I thought was pretty interesting. And I don't guess I ever really thought about or gave any consideration to how economic circumstances at the time might have affected our wild game populations in many parts of the country. But the article that is on history.com, written by Becky Little, is entitled, How the Great Depression Helped Spare Wild Turkeys from Extinction. The article's not terribly long, so I'm going to read it to you guys, but you can check it out on the history.com website if you want to read it yourselves. The article says, By the time Thanksgiving became an official U.S. holiday in 1863, wild turkeys had nearly disappeared, but Depression-era shifts in land use helped the animals rebound. Before European settlers arrived in North America, there were millions of wild turkeys, spread across what are now 39 U.S. states. But by the 1930s, wild turkeys had disappeared from at least 20 states, and their total population had dropped to 30,000. Over the next few decades, a series of reforms, conservation efforts, and demographic changes helped bring wild turkeys back from the brink of extinction, making them one of the United States' biggest wildlife success stories. Wild turkey populations started declining in the 17th century as European colonists hunted them and displaced their habitats. By the time President Abraham Lincoln made Thanksgiving an official U.S. holiday in 1863, wild turkeys had disappeared completely from Connecticut, Vermont, New York, and Massachusetts. Within a couple of decades, they also disappeared from states farther west like Kansas, South Dakota, Ohio, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. In an 1884 issue of Harper's Weekly, one writer predicted wild turkeys would soon become as extinct as the dodo. 
Wild turkeys were not the only native U.S. species that were in danger. By 1889, there were only 541 American bison left. By the 1930s, when wild turkey populations hit their lowest, the passenger pigeon had already become extinct. The crisis in native species populations galvanized conservationists who helped pass the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act of 1937, also known as the Pittman-Robertson Act. This act placed a tax on hunting guns and ammunition to pay for wildlife restoration efforts. The 1930s also saw a major shift among the U.S. population that would end up benefiting wild turkeys, albeit unwittingly. The Great Depression forced many families to abandon their farms, leaving the land open for wild turkeys to expand into. As these farms slowly reverted to native grasses, shrubs, and trees, wild turkey habitat began to emerge, according to the National Wild Turkey Federation's website. E. Donald Thomas Jr., author of How Sportsmen Saved the World, the unsung conservation effort of hunters and anglers, says the decline of cotton farms in particular may have helped wild turkeys rebound in states like Texas. Thomas's father, who won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine in 1990, recalls that there was nothing but raccoons, opossums, and other small game to hunt growing up in marked Texas during the 1930s. But when Thomas traveled back to the area with his father around the 1960s, his father was absolutely astounded to see how wild turkeys had flourished. When he grew up there, all the land was planted in cotton, Thomas says. Cotton is terrible wildlife habitat. Nothing can eat it. It doesn't provide good escape cover. And he was quite sure that's the reason that species like deer and turkeys weren't there during the 1930s. When we went back, cotton was gone. These changes in the 1930s provided good habitats for wild turkeys. However, their numbers didn't really start to rebound until the 1950s because, until then, conservationists couldn't figure out a good way to relocate wild turkeys to these habitats. The conservation movement started bringing various species back around the turn of the century, says Jim Sturba, author of Nature Wars, the incredible story of how wildlife comebacks turned backyards into battlegrounds. But wild turkeys were one of the last species that got brought back because they couldn't figure out how to do it. Finally, in the 1950s, conservationists realized they could safely relocate wild turkeys with rocket and cannon nets. These are nets that shoot out and trap animals. Because of relocation efforts, there are now millions of wild turkeys across dozens of states. Thomas speculates that one of the reasons wild turkeys are able to thrive in Montana, which is the state he lives in, is because of a change in ranching habits that also took place around the 1930s. During this time, cattle ranchers began to bring their cows into feedlots near their ranch houses during the winter. The change in ranching habits had absolutely nothing to do with turkeys, but ended up providing them with a reliable food source to survive the winter. Turkeys can eat cow manure, Thomas explains. They love to dig through manure, pick out undigested seeds and bits of corn and whatever the cattle have been eating in the winter when there's snow, it's not unusual to see 100 wild turkeys gathered around at a little feedlot next to a ranch building. Although the food source is most important during the winter when cattle are concentrated in one area, wild turkeys also eat cow manure in warmer seasons when the cattle are more spread out. It's very, very common to see wild turkeys in the spring 
flipping over cow turds, he says, adding, that food source wouldn't be here if the cattle weren't here. Now, I kind of feel like he left out one important part of that, and that is that the turkeys are also eating the corn and the feed and the seeds that are in the hay that are being put out for the cattle on these feed lots. But yes, they are digging around in cow turds as well. But I thought that was a pretty interesting article. It's something, like I said, I've not really thought about, but it makes completely good sense and probably had something to do with wild turkeys making a comeback in certain parts of the country where a lot of those cotton farms were deserted and brought back to natural regeneration of native shrubs, trees, and grasses. All right, I know since it is the beginning of December, a lot of you guys out there are deer hunting and predator hunting and waterfowl hunting and upland bird hunting and squirrel hunting. What I'm getting at is I know that a lot of you are out in the woods with guns in your hand. And I just want to remind you all to be safe. Think about things before you do them. So I stumbled across an article that is just talking about some of the hunting-related injuries and deaths that happened in the state of Michigan from 2010 through 2018. And I want to read a few of these with you. And a list of these hunting-related accidents is on the BridgeMI.com website, but I just want to read a few of them for you, just because I think it brings home some hunting situations that we can often find ourselves in that could potentially be dangerous. I think these situations are relatable for us. So, April 23, 2010, Van Buren County, woman, 21, turkey hunting with shotgun, accompanied by her boyfriend, 27. States comments, female scooting backwards in brush with firearm, hammer cocked, and discharged firearm hitting boyfriend at close proximity. Outcome, injury, hunting partner. October 14th, 2010, Lenawee County, squirrel hunter, 14, with shotgun. States comments, victim, shooter, was crossing over a down tree when the shotgun discharged striking the victim, shooter, in the lower abdomen. Outcome, death, self-inflicted. November 16th, 2010, Allegan County. Deer hunter, 59, with rifle. States comments, victim climbed ladder stand with loaded firearm on a bungee cord, pulled firearm, catching trigger, causing discharge of round through subject's wrist and into face. Outcome, death, self-inflicted. Now, if you guys have ever been in a duck blind, I think you can relate to this one. 2011, October 20, Bay County, duck hunter, 10, with two others, victim, 39. States comments, three subjects hunting waterfowl together. Shooter on the left, victim in the middle. Shooter swung to the right to shoot at a flock of ducks. At the same time, the victim stood up. Victim was struck in the back of the head. Outcome, Death, hunting partner. November 16, Macosta County. Deer hunter, 23, with rifle. Victim's age, unavailable. State's comment, shooter out on a deer drive with other hunters. Shoots at a running deer. The victim, who was sitting in a ground blind a couple hundred yards away, was struck in the head by one round. Victim not wearing hunter orange. Outcome, death, nearby hunter. September 9, 2012, Livingston County, son, 6, shot father, 32, 
after squirrel hunt. State's comments, victim took six-year-old son squirrel hunting. After hunt, victim advised son to unload rifle and at the same time turn his back to his son. The firearm discharged, striking the father in the right calf and shattered his tibia. Victim was not licensed as necessary to be a mentor. Outcome, injury, hunting partner. September 20, 2012, coyote hunter, 24 with rifle, victim 17. State's comment, shooter was coyote hunting and watched what he believed was a raccoon 181 yards away at the base of a tree. Shooter took one shot and struck the victim in the head. Outcome, death, victim misidentified as raccoon. I'm just going to read a couple more because there are a bunch of them. November 15, 2013, Hillsdale County, deer hunter 47 with crossbow, State's comments, the subject fell asleep with crossbow resting between his legs and with finger in the trigger guard. Crossbow discharged, hitting subject in the foot and passing through. Outcome, self-inflicted injury. July 11, 2018, Branch County, raccoon hunter 80 with rifle, victim 57. State's comment, victim was lying in soybean field. Dressed in camouflage, shooter mistook victim's head movement as a raccoon and shot the victim. Failure to identify target. Outcome, injury to person mistaken for raccoon. When you go back and you think about all of those little clips I just read, they all touch on what we already know about gun safety and hunting safely. Identify your target. Make sure you know what's beyond the target. Treat every gun as if it's loaded. Unload your gun before crossing a fence, a creek, a fallen tree. Always point your gun in a safe direction away from others, even when unloading. So I went through all of those just to say, you guys, please be safe out there. Don't ever take gun safety or hunting safety for granted. Practice it at all times. Preach it at all times. Make sure that those that are hunting with you follow it at all times and be aware at all times. I'm saying that because I want you guys around to listen to some more episodes of the Turkey Hunter podcast in the future, but more importantly, I know your families want you around and I know you guys are not going to want to miss out on the rapidly approaching spring 2020 turkey season. So that is all the stories that I've got for you guys today. Next week, I'm going to try to bring to you interviews with three of the six candidates who are running for the NWTF National Board of Directors. And for you guys who are members of the NWTF, you probably noticed in your November-December issue of Turkey Country Magazine that you've got a postcard ballot inside that magazine alongside six profile articles of the six people who are running for the National Board of Directors. I like to do these interviews because I feel like it gives us a chance to get to know these people that are going to be running the organization that is looking out for our wild turkeys and our hunting heritage a little bit before we place a vote for them. So be sure to catch that. Oh yeah, and you know I'm going to ask them for a turkey story as well. So there will be some turkey hunting stories to be thrown in the mix to help entertain us as well. So that's all I've got for you guys today. But if you will do me a favor, I'd be very appreciative. If you would share this week's episode 
using the share feature in your podcast player application, share it to your social media pages. So if you are on Facebook, share it to your newsfeed on Facebook. If you're on Twitter, share it to your newsfeed on Twitter. Share this episode with those that follow you. is a very helpful way to get the word out about the show, which is key. Because if none of you guys are listening to the show out there, I've got no reason to be doing it. So give me some reason to do it. Spread the Turkey Hunter podcast love. And know that I appreciate you very much for doing that. Hey, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.